Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Jean. This podcast is designed to inspire, educate, and empower people to elevate their consciousness and activate their full potential. We share stories, ideas, and resources that support our listeners and their personal and professional growth by hosting meaningful conversations that spark aha moments. Laughing, learning, leveling up, all guaranteed. We'll be hearing from innovative thought leaders, CEOs, professional athletes, best-selling authors, musicians, and more as they share lessons they've learned along the way and ideas that can change the world. A great podcast doesn't happen without a great team, and we're proud to partner with Lost Range CBD and The Plug Agency to bring this show to life. So pull up a seat and let's get to it. Welcome to the show, you guys. I am so excited about our guest today. This woman has quite literally changed my life and is one of the most important teachers I've ever had. Her name is Kate Gersberger, and I like to call her my cognitive coach. I found her back in, gosh, I think it was 2018, uh, maybe 2017. Definitely when I was in the darkest time of my life and really needed support and seeing what I couldn't see for myself. And finding Kate was such a blessing. She came recommended by a friend. And over the past three years or so, I have had the incredible honor of working with her. A lot of my work today is influenced by our time together. And I'm so, so honored to be able to introduce you guys to her directly. Um, So Kate, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. It's just as much an honor for me to watch you blossom and do what you want to do with your life. And by the way, I have to say, I did not change you. You chose to change yourself because you liked what I was saying. Okay, deal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's fair to say, though, that the the information and ideas and tools that you presented to me allowed me to change my life. That's right. That's exact. You have good taste in other words. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners, give them a little bit about yourself, an idea of who you are and how you got into this work? Well, um, it's a story and I like to start the story with the, the part where the bottom of the barrel, when you said the darkest part of your life, well, I had one of those too. And it was an extremely abusive childhood with very, very scary father who I now know I was in a state of PTSD probably all the time, but we didn't even know what that was back then. And so I was not able to concentrate. I didn't do well in school. I got labeled as stupid. He told me that a lot and he would hit me when he said it. So out of a family of five, a male dominant family with two brothers and a mom who was uh, college educated father, both of my brothers. I chose not to go to college because I was terrified to try that. Mm. And, And so my, my education is my life skills, the university of life skills. And out of that very abusive childhood with very little self esteem, I would say it was, zero um, self-respect. I then chose a marriage very young and I married my father. I married an abuser. And so I spent uh, 15, almost 15 years of that marriage because 
of a belief that once you, you know, when, once you commit, you better stick with it. So if you made your bed, then lie in it and um, was taught that, and it would be utter failure to walk away. And uh, so I put up with a lot of abuse and I was married to a police officer and we could have a whole conversation about that, but um, he was a drinker. And I remember uh, listening to Gloria Steinem, you know who she is? I do. And the Ms. Magazine was in the peripheral of my life. And I thought it was bullshit and hogwash because my husband did. And that's how trapped I was in just following along with no mind of my own. And yet it was seeping in these messages that women deserve to be treated equally and that our pay should be equal. And I, an average day for me with two little kids was to get up in the morning, throw a batch of clothes in to wash, uh, run and help them get up and dressed and ready for school and finish the homework and feed them and rush out the door to my eight hour job and um, exhausted by 8 a.m. and going through those motions and then coming home to a husband who said I'll be home by six, but had to stop by for a quick one at the bar and got home at nine. Mm. But with um, the belief that a family stays together, eats dinner together, I would not feed my children until I got home. Mm. And we, we would wait. And then I started hearing Gloria Steinem saying, you don't have to do this. And then I would um, came up with this novel idea that I would not even have dinner at all warm in the oven for him. So he came home one night drunk, wants to look in the oven for his dinner and it's not there. And she, he went berserk. And it was typical for my kids to hear this. They knew how to run to the bedroom to hide while he threw things and knocked over a cabinet and grabbed me by the upper arms and smashed me against the wall and um, leave bruises. And the phone rang and it was my mom. And I know for sure that was a guided blessed moment. And my little daughter, who's around five, answered it. And she's crying, saying, Mommy's mommy's hurt and daddy's hurting her and he's acting strange and the dishes are all broken. And I'm going, oh, shit. The bag is open. The cat is out. And what that led to is therapy and um, why I couldn't go to college because I was so scared. And in therapy, I learned it was because I was so terrified of my father. And I had a mother who was not available, present. She was gone, working all the time. Women are supposed to work, you know. And But after a couple of years of intense therapy, 
I began to hear this concept. I remember my therapist saying to me, what do you think of men? And I just said, well, they're all bastards. You can't trust any of them. They're all out to use you and you're there to serve them. And it doesn't matter what you want. You do what they want you to do. And I remember him looking at me and saying, well, if you keep thinking that way, that's the kind of men you're going to attract. And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? This is how men are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm just telling, answering your question, but that was how my brain was so soaked up with information about men and the, the way thought works. And my work is about that whole concept that what you think is what you get. That if you think that's how men are, then you will attract those kind of men. Well, it, it was from then on that I let myself from one mentor to another who all had this same idea. There was a book back then by, I think, James Adams, I think, that called As a Man Thinketh, um, which is explaining that concept that what you think makes you feel the way you feel, then makes you emote or behave in certain ways, and in turn set yourself up for a circumstance or a situation of whatever it is based on the thought. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that was all led, that I went from the therapist, I divorced, I got out of that, I've been married now for over 40 years very happily and it's all because I changed that thought I quit thinking and if we can manifest so much crap out of negative thinking what can we do if we change our thinking ah yes 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 and yes. and <laughs> and so my my path led me to lots of on the job training, I was a drug and alcohol counselor for one of my male mentor who was teaching that concept about it all is about your thinking. And then I ran into a female mentor. I know that was part of, I call it my divine plan or my divine path to meet a woman who uh, loved me unconditionally. And so did he. You can feel that in my voice. Mm -hmm. You got to find people who replace what you did not have. And it's okay. You don't have to call family, blood, relatives. The word family derives from the word familiar. So we find our kind if we're on a spiritual path. And I, I was... I didn't even know I was on a spiritual path. It's, I've heard this uh, visual of it, that if you're walking down a path and all of a sudden you're just covered with mud and you haven't a clue that there was a mud puddle there or how you got it on you. Well, that's the first stage of your spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. And as you keep becoming more aware you, you see that mud puddle, but you walk into it anyhow. You just can't help yourself. And what's happening there is 
because of your thoughts, there's a percentage that says 95% of what's stored in our subconscious undermines and overrides our conscious desire. Mm -hmm. So you could make this decision that I am not going to walk in that mud puddle, but you have too much stored, too many memories that are negative that just make you walk right into it anyhow. And then you beat up on yourself or blame others for the past. And the third stage is when you see the mud puddle and you go around it. Mm. And the fourth one is when you say, what the hell am I on this path for? There's too many mud puddles. Mm. Let me choose my path that's straight and clear and clean and easy and effortless. And I know that we can accomplish that even when you come from the kind of background that I have, or you and I've talked about what you grew up with. Mm -hmm. We all have, have the ability to change that. And I'm impassioned with the concept of inner child work as a very important step to healing memories. You don't have to go back and relive it, but you can be your best mentor to your little girls inside of you or little boys and grow them up and bring them back to the future with you and have 2020 vision. <laughs> hey, yo, popping in real quick to tell you about my latest obsession, Lotus Way flower essences. Hear me out on this one. I have been using these daily since April and holy cannoli, I'm loving them. We met at an event in Arizona and they were like, hey, are you interested in experiencing more clarity, focus, and peace? And I was like, uh, hey, yeah, those are some of my favorite things that I help people find too. And I would always love more of that. So I've been using their elixir, their spray, and their oil. The elixir is my favorite. It's like a tincture that I put in my morning beverages and my water throughout the day. Then I also mist myself down with their spray and of course, anoint myself with their oil in the afternoon. Basically, Lotus Way is a very easy way to add some nature back into your day, breaking up some of the interference and negative effects of our digital lifestyles. As a solopreneur living a downtown lifestyle, I need all the easy nature support I can get y'all. So this has been amazing. Like me, you might be wondering, WTF is a flower essence, Sheena. I did some research so we can all understand the difference between these and essential oils. Flower essences don't have a scent and they work through the acupuncture meridians. It's a liquid infusion of a flower or a plant's chi or life force, whereas an essential oil is distilled and extracted from the plant into a highly aromatic oil. So they have this super dope flower quiz that you look at the flower, see which one resonates most with you, which helps you figure out which of their remedies would be best for you. It's so much fun to take. Y'all know I love me a quiz. So if you want, you can head over to check them out at www.lotuswei.com forward slash one day and use the code do it now to get 25% off the month of August. That is a steal y'all. Now back to the show. Oh, so, so beautiful. I think the, I've got a couple of things that I'd love to discuss and I think let's, let's start by digging in a little bit further to the concept of thought, feeling, behavior, circumstance, because that for me was, that was the game changer. It's like, yes, I've, you know, I've, I, I did a lot of personal development still do and have been 
hip to the idea of like thoughts become things. I can't remember who says that, but it's like you hear this, but until you really start to understand it. And I think also work with someone who can help you see the thought that's right there in front of you that you can't see for yourself. You don't, and until you start to identify a thought and put it through this framework that that concept can be a little fuzzy. So can you talk about that one a little bit more for us? Well, first of all, it's so important to recognize that little children are like sponges and they are soaking up everything around them. Mm-hmm. And, and it isn't necessarily the things that parents and teachers and religious people tell us, TV, all of that. It's how it's what they're actually doing. And oftentimes people's actions are very misaligned with what's coming out of their mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's because if this percentage is accurate, 95% of what's stored there undermines and overrides, that those thoughts are powerful. Mm. They get in the way. And the, the synopses are all firing. The brain doesn't want a void. It wants to have some sensibility, believability. So if you don't do something to change your thinking, you're going to walk in the mud puddle over and over and over. And that 95% will eat you alive. And I believe that meditation is a wonderful way to at least observe the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And they teach in meditation to, to just observe them and let them go. But I think, no, I think there's another thing we can do. And that's called the thought is coming up for a reason. It's because the universe, the God that you believe in, the infinite intelligence is telling you this thought is in the way of you being who you are, remembering Mm -hmm. who you are. And so the thought is some, they're usually things like, I'm not good enough. I don't belong here. I'm not worthy of love. Um, They're a lot of them that are similar in all of us. But if you just let that go, I don't think you're going to get your brain to retract. So you need to reverse, even though you don't believe it, you reverse it by saying, I am good enough. I, I am worthy of love. And I do want to be here. Well, that uh, isn't believable at all. And it wasn't to me when I started doing this. So that's how I developed a a belief that there's some part of me that knows that's guiding all this. I need to trust that. And where is it? Who am I? And my mentors were teaching me that who we are is worthy. That's who we are. Mm -hmm. Who we are is valuable, important. It is our birthright that we belong here. We are here because we came here. And I believe in reincarnation now, so I believe I chose to come here. And I think it's important to own it. But you can't do that if you have a childhood like I did. Was I know I must have sponged up hundreds of thousands of reasons to not want to be here. Here in school, here in the school bus, here in my 
father's abuse here, here, here in this body. No, I, I was repeating that over and over. And so, and I had plenty of tapes running about life as a struggle. Life is hard. Life sucks. Life's a bitch. And then you live. <laughs> All of those things wow. that were taught. Why would you want to be here if that's what life is like? Why would you want to be here if people don't care? Mm. So we have to change all those thoughts. And it's possible to do it. And I believe in affirmations. So once you hear that thought, it's, it's dead. It is old, old, old. Lying in waiting in abeyance. For you to draw it forth, usually through tears or through, you know, yawn it out or puke it out or pores, sweat it out. It's every cell in your body has intelligence, but it's going to every cell's dying all the time. So new cells are forming with the bad information unless you repeat something different than what you've been repeating all these years. And so you start saying a mantra. I say my prescription is I don't give out uh, doses of any kinds of pills other than to say, say this mantra 60 times a day for two weeks. Now, if you're right on with it, it's tailor made. You have to figure out what it should be for you. But if it's like one of mine was saying, I already have more than enough. Well, I could look at my evidence and say, that's not true. But you start with the thought, believing that the universe loves you and supports you and that it, it hears you when you say that one time. And then if you say it 60 times a day, it's going to really, it's like texting the universe. It's like, picking up the phone and calling up the universe and saying, I already have more than enough. Mm. Well, you don't believe that when you first start saying that, but guess what happens when you repeat, 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 repeat. It's just like advertising. They advertisers know politicians know they know if they repeat salespeople repeat the information enough times people will want to buy mm -hmm. well why can't that work with repetitive thought why can't that work with healthy thought it has to be believable and this is why you do inner child work to get rid of those big blocks the pain the sorrow the grief that needs to be dumped off mm. and I'm a Reiki master too and that is Part of what I do with that training is to help people just get out of their head and listen to their body because your body speaks to you. That stomach ache you have is your body speaking to you, your headache. I talked to someone earlier today that has the seasonal affective disorder. Oh, disorder. Yeah, sad. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and we tracked back to seasonal two, three incidents that happened to him during the fall of wow. he was able to talk to his inner children about that. And 
I believe he can actually heal that completely. And it's not just a genetic thing. It's learned behavior from childhood experiences, but it's possible that to actually change the, the DNA by changing our thinking. Absolutely. I, um, I'll, I'll put myself on blast here and give, give our listeners, I guess like an inside look to like what this process actually looks like. And I, I, I found Kate and typically she works with individuals and she was kind enough to take on me and my partner at the time, which was really powerful, honestly, to be able to observe you working with another person and get so much understanding and compassion and empathy for what's happening in their head. And to see the process at work too was really powerful for me. And I think my first thought, and here's the good news. I don't actually remember the first thought. I just remember the thought that I've replaced it with. That's good. I do remember, however, (laughs) in our first session together, you know, you were asking me what's coming up for you. Like what's something that bothered you this week? And I was like, oh, we really got into it this morning. I just, I felt so disrespected and he was on his phone and blah, blah, blah. And I got all upset and he was, you know, he was doing this and he's doing that. And I just left and I slammed the door and, and you were brilliant. You are brilliant at holding space for someone while they're trying to figure it out because it's so right in front of us that we can't see it. We're blinded by this thought in a sense. And um, you asked the question, something along the lines of, well, the thought that I replace it with is whether or not you hear me, I am valuable. So there was a thought around like not being heard means I'm not important or valuable. When you don't hear me, I'm not important or something like that is what I had made it mean. And so when I think, when I think the thought, if you know, you don't hear me, I'm not, it's because I'm not important, then that's going to make me feel insecure. It's going to make me feel anxious. It made me feel angry and it made me feel unheard. And then the behaviors that I start to exhibit when I feel those things was violent communication in the sense of like snappy, um, throwing jabs, trying to poke the bear and be like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And then the circumstance is that my partner does not want to hear me because I'm being a bitch. (laughs) And then it's this self-fulfilling prophecy of, uh, well, I I must not be important if you don't want to listen to me. And so I slammed the door and it kept going. And I remember when you were trying to help me pinpoint this thought, I was so angry with you for not hearing me. (laughs) And like, she clearly does not hear me right now. And I still struggle. I can still struggle with this. And I use this anti-thought all the time when I feel unheard or misinterpreted. Um, that is a, that'll take me to a place that, um, I get defensive and fiery and frustrated. And I have to then think, Oh wait, whether or not you hear me, I'm valuable. (laughs) Whether or not you hear me, I'm valuable. And it like instantly dissipates that emotion at this point, because I've thought that thought probably a million times at this point over the last three years. But I think what I want listeners to understand is to to have an example of what the process looks like. And then the other piece that Kate's talking about when um, she mentions inner child work is, okay, now we have to figure out where that thought came from. Okay. So at some point in your childhood, you didn't feel heard. And 
what was it that, you know, how far back can you go in your memory to find something that like you didn't find an example where you didn't feel heard. And, you know, there was, my father traveled a lot. My mom was always working. We were really, you know, middle-class, but making it, making it work. And so parents weren't really there a ton growing up. And there was always that stress of, gotta go, gotta go make money. And there was at one point some, you know, where I wanted to be heard by my dad and it probably wasn't, I think this is your interesting point too. It's like, it's not even that he did anything that bad. He probably was like, I want to say like on the phone and I was trying to get his attention and he, you know, was on a, on a phone call, but you know, four-year-old Sheena doesn't get it. And she interprets it as I'm not important because you won't look at me right now or pay attention to me. And that's not the reality necessarily of the situation, but my brain doesn't have a full capacity to understand that that's not what's actually happened, but it's what I made it mean. And it's the thought that I put into my head. And so then you asked me to imagine my, my little girl, um, go in, you know, me as imagine me now going into that situation, taking that little girl's hands, telling her it's okay. And like, just sitting there and being with her and giving her whatever she needed in that moment. If she needed a hug, if she needed to be heard so that it's not changing the changing what happened to you or denying what happened to you, but it shifts, it energetically shifts the emotion that you've had attached to it for so long. And that's the emotion that keeps feeding that thought. And so so I, I want to share that kind of with everyone to help really kind of connect all these dots to understand how, how this process works. <laughs> and I will say, I'm sure people can do this by themselves. I mean, technically you could do this by yourself. I think it's going to take a lot longer and it's going to be a lot harder if you're not working with someone who is understands this process and can help you see what you can't see. Because if you could see it, you probably would have addressed it a long time ago, right? It's it's very interesting, though, that when people are ready, they find mm. the right person just like I did and you did. Yeah. And so it's a matter of knowing these are just thoughts. Your thoughts aren't you. Mm-hmm. Neither are your feelings you. Your behavior isn't you. Your present circumstance is not you. We are so reactionary and so conditioned to respond to all of that, that we we think it's true. Mm-hmm. Now, you're responsible for your thoughts and you absolutely want your feelings. They're your gift. The feelings are what telling you that you're off or on. Mm. But if you, uh, you know, you hate someone. And so you're hating yourself for hating someone. No, you're feeling hate because of a thought and something got triggered. And it's this every person, place, thing, situation, substance that you encounter is all there for you to remember who you are, which is who you are is this worthy, valuable. It's your birthright, important sacred, wonderful individual being, not your thoughts and separate yourself so you can, you can work with it. Now you're not so attached that egocentric, you know, children are so, they're so omnipotent. They're so close to their little soul that they really believe they can cause and cure anything. 
And in that scenario you used about not being heard, somewhere in there, you think you're going to cure the problem by yelling or stamping your feet or being a good little girl. And all you did was decide you were the cause. There's a reason I'm not being heard. Probably I am not important. Now you've declared that that's who you are. I'm not important instead of the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And so children will go about the business of trying to cure the problem and fail miserably because they're not, they're in physical form. They can't get their parents to quit fighting or to listen. And so then you turn on yourself and that's where those thoughts drop in. I guess it's all my fault. I'm in, I'm the cause here. I'm not worth it to you. Mm -hmm. And all of that can be re-entered. It's like you said, you go back to the little girl and say, I hear you. And I hear your cry of pain, little one. And I am here to talk to you and to tell you that you cannot stay stuck there. And I'm not going to leave without you. So you got to learn to trust me that I know what I'm doing now. And we can walk out of this back to the future. You said something really interesting that I want to poke at a little bit more that we are not our thoughts, but we are responsible for our thoughts. Yes. That is so, so, so important. I think that's one of the things that I railed against a little bit at the beginning of our time together. Cause I was like, well, he's the one doing this. <laughs> and you're like, you're the one leaving your buttons out to be pushed. And yeah. that like clicked with me. I was like, oh shit. Oh shit. She's right. <laughs> like if this is something that triggers me, I have to go figure out why I've got, I've got to be responsible for controlling my response when the button gets pushed. Yes. And the word responsible, if you turn it around, it says able to respond. <gasps> oh, that's so good. So that if you know that if you're having a negative feeling, it's driven by a negative thought. Now you're able to respond to that instead of go and take another pill or um, think that you need more therapy. And I'm grateful for the therapy I had, but I think so many people are way beyond that. They're looking for mm -hmm. this, uh, this, it's, this is not, by the way, new stuff. Mm -mm. Uh, I, I could, it just occurred to me, can I read this to you? Please. This was given to me by my wonderful mentor, Rosa Mazzoni, and she has passed, but I know she's listening right now. I can feel her. <laughs> Hi, Rosa. <laughs> yeah. uh, in 10th century BC, King Solomon said, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Mm. And Buddha said in 6th century BC, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. And Plato in fourth century BC said, we become what we contemplate. Mm -hmm. And Virgil said in first century BC, they can who think they can. And Jesus, I think he's kind of a cool guy. 
which I, by the way, could go on and on about how I think he gets, he does not think he's the only son of the living God. I think he knows that we're all on a path that we can have this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and first century, he said, it is done unto you as you believe. And Marcus Aurelius said in second century, the soul is dyed the color of its thoughts. And Shakespeare said, 16th century, there is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Mm. Now, I got to put one woman in there. This is Martha. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please do. Martha Washington said, I am still determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I may be. For I have always learned, I've also learned from experience that the greater part of our happiness or misery depends on our disposition and not on our circumstances. Mm. And then, you know, uh, Henry David Thoreau said in 19th century, what a man thinks of himself determines his fate. And Victor Frankl, who was in a concentration camp Love him. In Auschwitz, uh, World War II wrote, As a Man Thinketh, and he said, a person's ultimate freedom is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Mm. So it's not like this is new age stuff. It's been around forever. That that worksheet is a good one. And yes, it's another one I would add to is, Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. That that one is one that I've always leaned into. And I think it's so interesting what you're saying, because this is absolutely not new. And what is new is neuroscience, right? Like with technology, um, we've really been able to completely unlock, not completely. That's let me take that step that one back. But from where we were with our understanding of what was happening in the brain, we it's I mean, what's happened in the last 25 years is just truly remarkable, thanks to to technology. And we can now see that there are actually neural pathways and that they get stronger the more that you use them. So if you've been thinking a thought since you were three years old and that thing just fires like at the speed of light at that point in your life. And until you go and, and re-examine that, you know, you can't do anything about it. Like it's just going to keep getting stronger and stronger. You have to intercept it. You have to force a different pathway for it unless you, unless that's working out for you and you want to keep it. But you know, there's, and there are some thoughts that I think are really great and that do serve us very well and have given us, those are kind of where our strengths and, and the, the lighter sides of our personality live. Um, but it's, I've been really fascinated since working with you and also really seeing the correlation between so many different personal development, um, gurus, philosophers, et cetera. It's all kind of tying in now to what we're learning through neuroscience, which is just the coolest. It is. And the, what I, what I love about your prescription, um, 60 times a day, it's, it's for two rep- weeks, for two for at, weeks, at least I've, I've been hearing some interesting like variants on that. The, Dr. Caroline leaf. Are you familiar with her? No. I'll, I'll send you um, a link to, to some of her stuff. I was just listening to a podcast with her and, 
And she says that they saw significant changes within three weeks from people who were um, given tools to like mentally support reprogramming. And, but it was really at, oh gosh, now I'm going to mess this up. Um, I want to say like 93, three months, six months, something like that, that it really is when it sticks. And like, that's where you, you know, being disciplined in it. And I would say even like, I still use that first thought that I started reprogramming back in the day. Cause I, there's times in my life where I'm going to be triggered more by not feeling heard. Right. And so then my little girl is going to want to immediately start running back to that old sense of being, because now we know that when those neural pathways fire, we're releasing chemicals in our body that our body gets addicted to. Yeah. Totally and so, addicted. And we're addicted to reacting. Oh, we, yeah. It's the biggest oh, yeah. codependency is. A, I have a different definition of codependency that really, I think, explains this whole idea that if you don't know that you have a felt sense of aliveness because you exist, because you have meaning then you're going to manage things outside yourself in order to get it. And it's futile. All you do is end up numbing yourself and creating addictions to go over and over to try to get this. But the more we know that there is a, a me, a being me, that is a particle of something greater than me, and I don't need it to be God. I just believe that there's a may the force or the source be with us, mm -hmm. that there is a connection and that felt sense of aliveness is who that's the spirit connected to the soul of us, which is where we want to go to, to trust our knowing, to, uh, you know, believe in that so strong that you can change these thoughts and not feel like you're flailing around that you're you're intact you're in touch with your own intuition and your own mm. sixth sense um working really well that that's where your sense of security really is because mm -hmm. there's not there's very little security outside of us anymore right now Oof. with it's a time it's a precious precious time to Quit trying to control things we can't control and to trust in the unknown. Because the truth is, we don't know anyhow. Even before COVID, we, we didn't know. We just thought we did. Yep. And the, if you're, if you're going to be happy after COVID, why not do that now by changing your thoughts about what this all means going inward where your thriving self is, where you're, true self lives and rely on that. And what are we going to be like when we come out the other end, if we do that? Oh my God, because that's what this is about is advancing our consciousness. There's a huge shift taking place. It's nothing to be afraid of. If you know your soul is who you are. Mm. If we really believe that that is alive and well, and has always been there and always will be there then we don't need to be afraid of anything because the physical form is not who we are. And I'm still going to wear a mask because I want to 
do my part there, but I do believe there's nothing. We don't need to be afraid of it. Well, that's so powerful. And I think you're, you're spot on, but there's so many people who have are now being forced to go inward when they typically don't and are having all of these negative thoughts that are coming up in their head because of the circumstances that they can no longer control. And they don't have the tools. They don't have the awareness that it's the thought that's really wreaking their havoc right now. Right. Um, it's false beliefs that have, they've been, you know, stuck into for their entire life. And, um, instead of seeing this as an opportunity to really do some work, they're getting stuck with right where it is and the pain of it all. And that, you know, well, I guess I'll just have another bottle of wine tonight and yeah, wait for 2021. That's the funniest thing. People are like, I just want it to be 2021 already. I'm like, it's not going to fucking change anything. You guys. You got to take your stinking thinking into 2021 too. Yes. You got to look at the stinking thinking like, <laughs> oh man, I love that line. That and the leaving my buttons out to get pushed. Those yeah. are my favorites of yours. <laughs> well, I give my mentor credit. She's the one who taught me the stinking thinking line. And I, I use, you know, it's uh, even though she's passed, I still hear her laugh and I know that she's cheering us on right now. Mm. And that uh, some of those lines, who knows where she got it from, but that's sort of like passing the baton. I call it. If, if, <clears throat> if I had this all copyrighted and accused you of plagiarizing and you needed to sign all these documents Oh my God, I just would be so bored and so shut down. <laughs> it's here for all of us. It's that ancient. Mm -hmm. Why would we want to claim ownership in it and Absolutely. just share it with the world? And those people who want it will take the baton. And in turn, I know they will pass it on too. Mm -hmm. And I know that's how we're going to change everything. One person at a time. My my byline that I use on all my emails says a mentor is one who loves you unconditionally and sees you for who you really are. The job of a good mentor is to walk with you, to hold space and stand as an example, reminding you to trust your true self as you discover the answers are already inside you. And I know that if if we each did that, <clears throat> this world would change. This, the energy on this planet would go into a viral, talk about a virus, it would go viral mm -hmm. and shift it one person at a time. And that, those words, unconditionally loving, mm -hmm. you have to unconditionally love yourself. And that's why it says who you are is not your thoughts or your feelings. Love yourself through this stuff that you've absorbed and then rewrite your dictionary. Hmm. I'm going to go grab something really quick so I can share it with you. I'm just, okay. I'll be right back. It's been at least, at least 10 years since I've written this. And I recently found it when I was moving and it's just so interesting what the world is like, the universe is setting you up for 
along the way in life. And, um, what you just said there, your byline with your mentor byline, my, I've, I found this little sticky note and I know it's backwards, so I'll read it to you. Can you see it? Well, read it anyhow. Okay. I had this random thought and it's like, I just knew at the time I had to write this down and that this was my purpose, even though I didn't understand what it meant and how I was going to do this and anything by it, but it says to help people realize it's always been within. Yes. Well, see, that's in the, you, you were in the same stream of consciousness as me. So why wouldn't we run into each other? Mm-hmm. It's also magical and it's, it's so cool. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> so, so cool. Okay. So we, something that you talk about and you've mentioned in our conversations over the years, but I'd love to hear a little bit more from you on is the age of Aquarius. Oh, well, you know, okay, so I come out of the 60s and 70s, uh, where it, the dawning of the age of Aquarius was a song, I think by the fifth dimensions, but I was blocked and I call it my crazy days, D-A-Z-E, uh, back mm. then, but I still remembered that song somehow. And I know very, very little about astrology. But I do think that the Piscean age, which was from Jesus's birth, is dying as we know it. Religion is dying. And that all of those black and white either or ways of thinking that men are dominant and that women serve them, like I used to think, and that women are property, that uh, that there is a hierarchy of uh, a pulpit with a person in it or someone we all look up to that we have to trust or a Bible that we have to believe in. Mm-hmm. All of that is changing as we know it. That black and white thinking said men couldn't marry men or have children that uh, women were uh, not paid the same. The, the Aquarian age is about seeing all sides of everything so that it, it reflects itself in along the way, our advancement of consciousness brushes up against opportunity like women, white women get to vote, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred years ago and not black women or men and that slaves uh, serve us, and that the whole idea that we are stopping all that, we are on a, we are advancing our consciousness enough to be able to see that we need to stop thinking that way, mm-hmm. that we need to respect our client, our, our planet, and if that will never happen if people don't respect themselves, and if they're getting their self-worth from consumption, that I need more, bigger, better to compare myself to others, to keep compete and compare and have the biggest, best, greater. Now you got to toss out all the old, and that's polluting, um, that the more we go in within ourselves, the, the less you need those things. I already have more than enough is 
the thought that comes to mind. <laughs> Mine is I have all the time and resources I need. That's yes. the one I've been leaning into real hard the last <laughs> couple months. <laughs> but the Aquarian age says that we must see all sides of everything, that we take the labels off, that there we don't get our worth from the color of our skin. Mm. or from our sexuality or our gender, all of that is shifting. And so this time is really powerful. It's like, I think there's a year like 2072 or something when the Piscean age is actually completely ended according to astrology. I'm not sure what that year is, but if we look at 20, 2020 years, and we're that close to the end. It's sort of like picturing two pizzas. And there's one piece being pulled out of the Piscean pizza. And all we got left is a few little mozzarella cheese strings hanging on. And, you know, there's some people who want to go back to where it was great again. And they're clinging on. And I call them the clinger honors. They... <laughs> Fucking clinger honors. Let go already. Let go. (laughs) But it's okay. It's okay if they need to do that. And I I think our election was a reflection of of where we stand in this bipolar or polarization in Mm -hmm. our our uh, the cohesiveness that our society lacks. I believe we are moving towards something more cohesive if we just trust that Mm. and let it go let let them go the way they want they were vital to that era but they are not in what we're trying to do in the aquarian age and celebrate this chaos because out of chaos comes correction Mm -hmm. and if we know our souls are fine even if we get COVID or die, the soul is alive and well and continues to exist and continues to advance its consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it and I think it it helps if we're not afraid to die. Mm-hmm. That as I get older, I have to keep reminding myself of that. You know, it <laughs> seems a little more real than it used to. Mm-hmm. But to trust that. There's nothing to be afraid of. Do you have any intuitive hits on what you're going to come back as next time? Wow. Have you thought about that yet? Well, the first thought I had is why the fuck would I come back? (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Oh, but I, I I know that's not, that's my earthly side. (laughs) Okay. But what, what my thought is, is could I please go back to that star (laughs) and go back to the conference table and say, can I have my Olympic award medal, you know, because I did a good job. And if you, you think I should go again, I will, but please help me. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure this is the last trip. (laughs) But I yeah, want you, I want you to be where I go. So <laughs> same, same, same. Yeah, it's you know it, it's it's interesting because 2020 has just really blown the doors off of my 
awareness of around white privilege and white supremacy and just, you know, really starting to look at the collective thought patterns that we have, that we have to start reprogramming. Like there are like for the white community, for the BIPOC community, like we've really got to look at what are the things that they've tricked us into thinking all of these years that we've got to let go of. We got to stop saying that racism can't be ended in our generation. That's the one. I think that's the one collective thought pattern, Kate, that if we can shift that, that changes everything. Um, I'll send you an article by uh, Justin Michael Williams, who, who I read and had my mind blown by that. I'm like, I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. It's like, this is a collective thought pattern that all of us have, regardless of which side you're standing on that we've got to let go of. Yeah. And in, in this, you know, really learning about this game that we're playing, like this place is awful. This place is a nightmare in a lot of ways. And, and it's really beautiful and there's amazing connections and, and, and things to be found from it as well. But like, whoa, what we've got ourselves in right now. I don't know that I want to come back either. Well, I want to, I want to teach myself that this world, you know, the planet is fine. It's the people and Mm. how they disrespect themselves so they can trample it and misuse it and pollute it and all of that. But I still want to believe that my definition of the world is sacred and profound and working just right. Mm. And we're in the middle of a time to that tests that a lot. But mm-hmm. it's important, I think, to keep reminding ourselves that this is necessary and it's part of the mozzarella cheese. You're making me hungry. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and and like liking pizza just a little bit less, thinking about all those clinger honors. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I'll always love pizza. Yeah, I'll me too. Tacos, but it's a little, yeah, I'll always love pizza. <laughs> Wow. This has just been so, so special. Thank mm, you. Great fun. I've got a couple last questions for you. Okay. I'm curious to know if you're reading anything right now that's really lighting you up or inspiring you or, or have read something recently that you might recommend for us to check out. Oh my goodness. This book is called Pure Land. Pure Land. And the author is Annette McGivney. And it was a gift for my birthday from my brother, older brother, who, Mm -hmm. have you heard of this book? I have not. Well, this is why I asked this question because I love finding new book recommendations. Well, it's, it's a true story about a woman who was a true story of three lives, three cultures and the search for heaven on earth. And the three cultures are a Japanese woman killed, murdered in the little town at the base of the Grand Canyon. And the author's true story of uh, childhood abuse and the um, guy that killed her. Oh, wow. And she's woven this together. um, But it's very much about the native american culture and how raped they have been by the white culture and the european anglo and it's about our national park 
you know, just swiping them out by making it a national park. But it's also about abuse and a, a woman who's a journalist who was brave enough to write her story and then weave it with this Japanese woman's life that was murdered at a young age. So I'm reading that now and I'm just so touched that my brother, he sent it to me and my younger brother. We're both 11 months apart in birthdays in November and yay for Irish twins. Yay! I'm an Irish twin yes, at 11 you, months. Yeah. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the, the, I think my brother, you know, he's starting to recognize he's, oh, he's 78 that there's, history that he hasn't dealt with. And I, I'm not sure I, after I read it, I'm going to call him and say, why did this, why did you want me to read this and Gary to read this and see he's a a Vietnam vet and, Mm. you know, very, he was the older brother and he was a bully Mm -hmm. and, but he was, he, he was only doing what he was taught to do, but it's Mm -hmm. some, has deep meaning to me that this was given to me. And since you asked, that's what comes to mind, that that's the book I'm reading right now. That sounds like a fantastic book. I, yeah, I'm going to add that one to my list for sure. I'm going to, can I share you, show you the book that I'm reading right now? Cause yeah. this is a fun little thing the universe is doing. So this one is called Fool's Crow Wisdom and Power. Have you heard of Fool's Crow before? No. He is um, a Sioux holy man and yeah. And this is his kind of uh, it's, I've just started it. So I'm not too far in, but it's his account of how he heals and attempt to pass his baton. And he has a white male Christian um, pastor as the writer. And it was this really interesting, like, he's like, um, I, I can't remember what he calls his God walk Wontonka Khan or something like that. Um, he's like, I know you're the guy that's supposed to do this. And, um, Thomas males is his name. He's like, I am here to do this with as like as consciously as possible. And with as little bias as possible, because that's, you know, we really don't want to lose that and having other natives there to kind of checks and balance and make sure that the translations were landing as best they could. So I'm really excited to dig into that and to tap into his baton that he's left behind. Wow. And I, I, I haven't really dug into much, um, native American history because I know how painful it's going to be like to, to, to recognize that we committed a a genocide of fucking atrocities. And this is like never been Never. We've never told the truth about that. We've never told the truth about this. And I, and I also want to call myself out. Like that is my white privilege, not being ready to look at it. I'm like, let me get my arms around the black lives matter first, and then I'll move on and I'll start to integrate and figure out how to help. But it's, yeah, it's, it's astonishing how we've been able to cover up what we've done. I think you've said something very interesting there that it's too painful. And I, I see this a lot with people in doing their personal growth work that after they release some of their childhood pain, 
they're drawn towards Native American culture or the, the Black Lives Matter culture to feel, you know, they can now deal with it. And it's to me, it's one person at a time telling the truth about yourself to discover your true self. Get that grounded, and then you can look at this stuff and tell the truth about it instead of chocolate coated in some way. But I think that's true. You, there's a, you know, it's an unfolding along the way to come to that place of saying, "Oh my God, this is just too much, too much." So I have to do it. A, you know, a I call it time. well artichoke leaves. You know, pluck, mm. pluck mm-hmm. each. One, you might as well have some butter and garlic with it along the way as you head for the heart of the matter. Because that's a, a good one, Kate. I, I love that analogy. <laughs> add the artichoke analogy to my lineup. <laughs> Tell more people about you. Well, um, the last question that I have for you, I have a gratitude practice each night as I fall asleep. I think of three things from that day that I'm grateful for. So I'd love to hear just one thing from the last 24 hours that you're really grateful for. From the last 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, it would be my wonderful 50 year old daughter who I told her I was doing this podcast. And she went, oh, my God, Mom, that's so great. And then she said, what are you going to (laughs) wear? So she's all excited about this for me. And I love that. And then I'm just grateful for you. I'm just sitting here beaming with joy watching you do this because you're so brilliant. And so do you know that you have little gold golden beads all over your face from it's it's my disco ball (laughs) it's not my aura it's my disco ball (laughs) well it might be your aura or a bunch of orbs floating around you but the I can (laughs) oh yeah my disco ball sitting there yeah so it makes my disco dots is what I call them but we can call it my my aura dots too (laughs) it's very it's just you're a bright bright spirit and you are, are a gift And I am just honored and grateful to have this wonderful world connection with you this lifetime. We planned it perfectly. You sure did. Thank you, Kate. That is just so kind of you. And I equally and then some, I'll never be able to fully express my gratitude for you. And I'm so glad that our our souls have been conspiring to find each other. and, And I know that we'll conspire to find each other again, too. Yeah. Anytime. And in so many ways, I love you. Take- I, lo- I love you too. Is there, <laughs> if I want to, um, if our listeners want to reach out and find you or chat with you, is there, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I have my webpage, which is Kate is with the C A T E Gerstberger, G E R S T B E R G E R.com. And my phone number, 303-480-0166. I just, I have no idea what this will turn out to be, but I'm sending it out to the universe with the greatest of strength and blessings of all good. 
Um, no, what I have it, no idea what this is going to be either. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, you know what? I hear you telling me to do this. So I'm just going to sit down and do all this and trust that you know what you're doing better than I do. So here we go. I love that. That's, uh, that's something that a lot of people are stopping themselves with. And that's something that you and I have in common. We just did it. Well, I think, I think though, it comes back to, to being able to find that, that self-worth and know that, that connection, like once you find that, once you get, once you realize that all your answers are within, you just have to learn to start listening to them and trusting, trusting and following it. Yeah. And it helps to have a thought. I trust my knowing, I I listen to my knowing and I follow my knowing. Say it one more time. I trust my knowing. I listen to my knowing and I follow my knowing. And that's regardless of what other people think or say or feel or do or how they act. Amen. Because they will take you off the rails if you listen to that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kate. Everyone go practice. I trust my knowing. I listen to my knowing and I follow my knowing 60 times a day, (laughs) two weeks. I am dead serious. Do this, you guys, and watch watch things start to shift. Watch yourself being able to hear ideas that just pop into your head that you write down on a little piece of paper and find 10 years later. Well, and it, I think it's important to add that what I call that qualifier that says, I trust my knowing, I listen to my knowing, I follow my knowing, no matter what other people think or say or feel or do or how they act, that little qualifier helps you stay on the rails Mm. because you will derail yourself because of all these subconscious thoughts pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. If you don't get something in the mantra that keeps you from being distracted by that thing we're addicted to out there, all that Mm. stuff out there. Mm, I love that. Yep. Thank you. And that's a wrap. We want to hear from you guys. So tag at make one day happen on Instagram and share your biggest aha moment or one thing you can take from this episode and put into action today. If you're ready to go to the next level, I'm currently taking on new one-on-one coaching and team development clients. Head over to www.makeonedayhappen.com to learn more and book a free breakthrough session with me. Your word of mouth is wildly appreciated in helping us share these conversations with the world. I get so many of my podcasts I listen to from my friends' recommendations. So if anything resonated with you today, send it to someone else who you think would like it too. I know that every podcast out there asks you to subscribe and leave a review, and that's because it really helps us get these shows out there. So please go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Every other week, we'll pick our favorite review and hook that person up with three full-size Lost Range products and a Make One Day Happen goal setting kit. A big thank you to Lost Range. Remember to head over to www.lostrangecbd.com and use code Make One Day Happen for free prezies and we'll give 10% of your purchase to Last Prisoner Project. We know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to picking a podcast out there to listen to, so we're so grateful you chose us. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. 
Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.